you know, the Catholic Church in previous times, like when my family uh, converted, you know, there was no such thing as bringing any of our Protestant roots in it. You know, we just fully adapted to the Catholic Church as well. So the music was quite different. Uh, the homily, the preaching was quite different. By the time that I became a priest, uh, the church was beginning to see that African-Americans had a lot to offer in terms of their spirituality, in terms of how they worshiped and, and uh, the beautiful way of blending the needs of the neighborhood and the parish together to be a part, uh, not just a church for Catholic members, but a church, uh, part of a family of the whole community. And that in itself was a very important thing for me. Last summer, Bishop David Zupik of Pittsburgh made an important announcement. St. Benedict the Moor, a historic parish in the Hill District near downtown Pittsburgh, would become a personal parish in the Black Catholic tradition. Most parishes are territorial, meaning they're built around geographic boundaries, but personal parishes are built around a particular tradition. Bishop Zupik's announcement came in the midst of nationwide protests against systemic racism. In an interview following his announcement, the bishop said the timing wasn't intentional. It was providential. St. Benedict the Moor Parish has served Black Catholics in Pittsburgh since the late 19th century. This week on the podcast, we take a look at that history, and we'll talk with two priests about their hope for St. Benedict's future. We'll also take a look at the role of historically black Protestant churches in the lives of black Americans and talk about what the Catholic Church could learn from that. You're listening to CNA Newsroom, the podcast that brings you the people behind the headlines. My name is Kate Oliveira. I'm executive producer of this show, and I'll be your host this week. Bishop Zupik designated St. Benedict a personal parish in the Black Catholic tradition only last summer. But St. Benedict's history with Black residents in Pittsburgh's Hill District runs much deeper. The parish was founded on July 28, 1889. Uh, It was uh, founded by the uh, priest of the congregation, what was called then the Congregation of the Holy Ghost, which is now the Congregation of the Holy Spirit. My name's Ken White. And I used to be the director of the diocesan archives for the diocese from 93 to 2018. And then since 2018, I've uh, stepped back to a part-time job as an archivist for the diocesan archives. I've always thought of archivists as essentially diocesan historians, and there's a little bit of truth to that. Archivists like Ken are in charge of organizing and maintaining the historical records of a particular diocese. So even if they don't know everything about their diocesan history off the top of their heads, they know where to look. Anyway, Ken told me the Congregation of the Holy Spirit came to Pittsburgh in 1878, and one of the priests, Father Patrick McDermott, was interested in starting a mission in Pittsburgh's Hill District. The Hill District today is predominantly African-American, and it was the same back then. So starting in 1888, he held a series of uh, meetings in the community to try to see if there was support uh, for a parish. 
and he was assisted with that by three local black Catholic ladies, Elizabeth Anderson, Fanny Brent, and Mrs. Lloyd Thomas. Um, after their meetings in 1889, uh, Father McDermott rented a mansion on Fulton Street, and that was uh, turned into a combination church and school, which again was dedicated on July 28, 1889. So that's where it started. St. Benedict wasn't the first black Catholic parish in Pittsburgh. The first one was called Nativity. It was established in 1844 and only lasted a year. The second one was called St. Joseph, and that was founded in the Hill District. That was founded, I believe, in 1866, and that was done in by the Panic of 1873, which caused the nationwide depression. And within three years after that started, they couldn't support the church anymore, and it closed. But St. Benedict flourished. Within two years of its founding, the parish was able to purchase a plot of land and build a new church and school. The parish went on to serve the Hill District community for nearly eight decades. During that time, the neighborhood surrounding St. Benedict followed the trajectory of most inner-city neighborhoods in the U.S. at the time. Here's Ken. Let me give you some numbers here, give you an idea of what was happening. Okay, in 1950, the population of the Hill District was a little over 53,000. By 1960, it was 42,000. By 1970, it was 29,000. Now, this drop, but a lot of it was caused by urban renewal, where just blocks of neighborhoods in the uh, Hill District were torn down to make room for the Civic Arena. Which was home to Pittsburgh's hockey team, the Penguins, from its construction until 2010. And there was a, some highway construction that went through there. And also there was a complex uh, entertainment uh, office complex hotel that was built there. So a lot of it was urban renewal. Of course, part of it, too, was, again, people moving out of the city. Uh, The city has been having a pretty steady decline in population that can go back to the uh, collapse of the steel industry. But I'd say for the Hill District itself, it was mostly urban renewal. In the midst of this urban renewal, St. Benedict and the neighborhood surrounding it fell into disrepair. The original church was torn down, and from 1968 to 1977, the parish went through a series of mergers, eventually settling into the church of a formerly German parish in the Hill District. Up until its designation as a personal parish in 2020, St. Benedict was a territorial parish, but it was always informally known as Pittsburgh's Black Catholic Parish. It was always considered, at least in my time, the, uh, you know, the really African-American parish of uh, in the Diocese of Pittsburgh. This is Father David Taylor. He's senior parochial vicar of St. Benedict today, but he actually got to know the parish back in the 70s when his brother was pastor. But uh, yeah, the people there are from, again, from very distinct backgrounds. By no means are they all from the Hill District where it's located. They come, you know, from all over the city. But the one thing that they really, really uh, claim to fame is, is the music, the gospel music, the social interaction and uh, and the singing and all of that. And, and preaching, too. They're like priests who can really preach good, right? But tend, and they're very much rooted in the community itself. Uh, St. Benedict the Moore is very much rooted in the things that go on in the Hill District. In the past, 
they were, for all intents and purposes, they were a personal parish for African Americans, which didn't mean, that didn't mean that the only parish that African Americans could attend was St. Ben's, or that if you weren't African American that you could not attend, that, that wasn't what it was. But there was a good cultural fit. This is Father Matthew Hawkins. He's also parochial vicar at St. Benedict today. But back in the 90s, he was a parishioner, and he says the parish was thriving. The parish was proactive in making a connection between scripture studies, uh, what was going on in the liturgy, and the day-to-day lives of people in African-American communities. St. Benedict was long known, at least informally, as the Black Catholic Parish of Pittsburgh. But Father David and Father Matthew said its official designation as a personal parish will help St. Benedict better evangelize the Hill District and the greater Pittsburgh area. One simple way they hope to meet that goal is by adding more Mass times. St. Benedict's offering limited Masses right now because of the pandemic. But Father Matthew said the more Masses they can offer, the better they can accommodate the diversity of the Black community. It's not a monolith. It's not a single thing. There's diversity within the African-American community. That demographic diversity of some people being the children of recent immigrants from either Africa or the Caribbean, and some people being legacy African-Americans. And so there's a big difference there in terms of what people's experiences are. And there are also cultural differences. And socioeconomic differences. I mean, the the black middle class and and, uh, the black working class and those who are unemployed frequently see things sometimes very differently. And so it's important to be able to speak to those experiences as well. So all of that comes into the mix. And if a parish isn't aware of those nuances, it's hard to meet those needs. St. Benedict is a personal parish in the Black Catholic tradition, but that doesn't mean it's closed off to other Catholics. Even though it's a personal parish of African Americans, there are many white members who belong to it because they love to worship there and the friendship and social exchange that goes on there, right? Mm -hmm. But St. Benedict is tailored to the needs and the realities of Black Catholics, and that's a big deal. Too often, people of African descent will look at the Catholic Church and say, that all the images they see and all the references to sacred scripture don't seem to resonate with their experiences and seem to be Eurocentric. I mean, I think that's a fair charge. It doesn't have to be that way. In terms of speaking to the spirituality of African-Americans, there are certain texts within sacred scripture that resonate more with the community Uh, with the Black community than perhaps with other communities. Like the Passion of Christ and the experience of loss and suffering in distressed neighborhoods. Not all Black Catholics, and probably not even the majority, necessarily live in distressed neighborhoods. But the connection uh, between the Passion of Christ and how that is seen through the lens of the neighborhood is important in terms of our ministry because ours is an incarnational uh, faith. It's a faith that focuses on the incarnation. People have to see themselves in very tangible ways, in very physical and embodied ways, in order for it to have deep meaning for them. And not just the Passion of Christ, but other parts of Scripture as well. What is the parallel between the Psalms of Lamentation and the Blues? What is the significance of the Book of Exodus to the African-American experience? 
or the prophet Amos in, in his proclaiming uh, the importance of justice. Uh, what is the significance of the Gospel of Luke? Why is that? does that resonate particularly well? That particular Gospel, which focuses on bringing in the outsider and the marginalized and so forth. All of those are areas that uh, people who are ministering to African-American communities should be aware of. Father Matthew said there's one other major factor to consider when approaching the evangelization of Black Americans. We have to understand the role of the historically Black Protestant tradition churches in Black neighborhoods. The historically Black Protestant tradition churches have played a specific and unique role and continue to play that role uh, in African-American communities, and we can learn a lot from them. We don't have to replicate what they do, to be sure, because there are there are differences in terms of how we see church and, and how uh, the churches of the historically Black Protestant tradition approach it. But there are also things that we can learn because those churches have been central to the life of the community, uh, and it's co- combined uh, the eternal with the temporal, and it's combined the um, uh, individual piety with a larger sense of uh, social justice uh, mission as well. After the break, we talk about why Protestant traditions have played such an important role in the history of Black Americans and what the Catholic Church can learn from it. Stay with us. On every episode of CNA Newsroom, we bring you the voices of the people you read about in the news. But we also bring you some of the most unique and interesting stories in all of podcasting. Stories you won't hear on any other show. If you enjoy listening to this show, consider subscribing to our podcast. Subscribing couldn't be easier. Just open the podcast app on your phone, type in CNA Newsroom, click subscribe. Why bother subscribing? Well, because then your phone will send you a notification as soon as we post new episodes, so you won't miss a single one. And while you're there, consider leaving us a rating and a review. More ratings and reviews help other people find our podcast. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Jonah McKeown. I'm Carl Bunderson. I'm Hannah Brackhouse. I'm Peter Zalasco. I'm Courtney Mares. I'm Judah Timanki. I'm Michelle Arosa. I'm Perry West. I'm Anyan Christoph Wimmer. I'm Kevin Jones. I'm Christine Roussel. I'm Luke Coppin. I'm Kate Oliveira. And now, back to the episode. To understand the role of Protestant traditions in the lives of Black Americans, we need to go back, way back, to pre-Civil War America. In those days, there were many efforts to evangelize people who were enslaved. A lot of that evangelization was done by Methodists, Baptists, and Presbyterians. They had plantation missions. Then the Civil War happened, and virtually every Protestant denomination split over the question of what to do with members of the congregation who were also slave owners. The Catholic Church, of course, is an exception. There was no split there. This is Cheryl Sanders. She's a professor of Christian ethics at Howard University's School of Divinity in Washington. She's also senior pastor of Third Street Church of God. After 
the Civil War. Some of the churches came back together. Some of them remained separated. But there was a new initiative to say, we don't want blacks and whites to worship together. And that led to the creation of black denominations within Protestant traditions. You have separate denominations that mirror the same teaching and discipline and policy of the white denomination. The only difference is we're black and white and we can't worship together. And when I say we, it's essentially the white initiative to say we do not welcome blacks into our worship. So the black church was not, well, we're going to exclude white people. It was, well, since we can't worship with our white brothers and sisters, we will make a, make ourselves at home in our own churches. Today, the majority of Black Protestants identify as Baptist, Methodist, or Pentecostal. And then, of course, all along you have Blacks in Catholicism, but the Protestant ethos remains dominant in uh, the African-American community. Even today, despite fewer and fewer Americans affiliating with any religion, Still in the black community, if you ask, who are the leaders? Who are the spokespersons? Who are the people who are leading in the uh, social justice witness? You can't overlook the black preachers. I asked Cheryl why Protestant churches have had such an impact on black communities. She said one reason is that black churches formed in response to rejection from white churches. In other words, the white churches says we don't want black people in our churches. We will not allow it. So being expelled from the white churches, not having that as an option, the blacks are like, well, we're going to organize our own churches. But the white church has a peculiar, uh, white churches, I'll use the plural, um, they are not the dominant factor in the life-giving livelihood of the community because the white church sees itself as just almost a seamless entity with the political structure, the economic structure. In other words, in a white-dominated society, the church does not have the same role that the church has in a black society where the black people, under conditions of oppression, living in the consequences of shadow white supremacy, the black church becomes the spokesperson. It becomes the resource. It becomes the property owner. It becomes the help. So uh, people living under circumstances of oppression look to the church in ways that people in the dominant culture would never even think to look to the church for that kind of leadership or that kind of help. Because as far as they're concerned, the society provides every benefit they need in other ways. The Catholic Church can't replicate the influence of historically Black Protestant traditions on Black communities in the U.S., But Father Matthew says there are some best practices he hopes to adopt at St. Benedict, like providing role models for young people at the parish. I think people will find if they look at at the historically Black Protestant tradition churches and ask why they've been so strong in the past, fundamental to that was the parents knew that if they brought their children there, their children could see themselves in those who were responsible for ministry, and they could see examples of an alternative to a lifestyle that treats people as disposable objects or that treats people as just objects for entertainment. It it really provides a viable alternative. It's important, I think, for the Catholic Church to provide that. And this is where 
we have obviously need more African-American priests and deacons. Father David was the first black Catholic priest ordained in the Diocese of Pittsburgh. I was the first in the history. And that's 1974, and Father Matt was ordained, uh, I think it was the end of June, and he became the second one, right? That's been probably one of the biggest disappointments to me because I had really hoped since I was making inroads here that there would be many, many other vocations. And uh, But as far as African-American vocations, they've been far and in between. Both Father David and Father Matthew are converts to Catholicism. Father David comes from a long line of Baptists and Episcopalians. His immediate family converted because of their experience with Catholic education. My parents had always uh, wanted to send us to Catholic schools from the earliest point because um, some of the the school, well, when I was first coming up, the schools in Kentucky were segregated and not very good for African-American children. His family moved to Cincinnati when he was about five or six, and his parents enrolled him and his siblings in Catholic schools. And although there was a lot of racism, even within the Catholic Church's schools, the value of having the Christian Catholic education meant a high. And so that was the immediate catalyst of us uh, coming to the Catholic Church. Father Matthew is the son of an African Methodist Episcopal minister. His mother was Baptist. Like Father David, he attended a Catholic elementary school, and his experience led him to convert to Catholicism at the age of 21. He wouldn't become a priest until several decades later, after earning master's degrees in social work and applied history, and logging 20 years in community economic development and as an educator. Historically Black Protestant churches are also heavily involved in the communities that surround them. And that's something that Father Matthew and Father David hope to emulate at St. Benedict. The African American community is not very large. And even when you have a church like St. Benedict the Moor, even though the communities may be predominantly African American, uh, the predominant religion in areas like that for African Americans has always basically been uh, various different Protestants, like AME, Baptists, and churches and churches like that. So to me, it was very important to collaborate and be a part of what the other churches were doing, because that way, too, since we were the only unique kind of African-Americans, we could be a part of the larger African-American community, even though the religion and faith may be different. We had an awful lot in common, right? It's going to be important, even though St. Ben's is seen as a personal parish rather than a geographical one, uh, for us to be very present in the surrounding community, which is a predominantly African-American community. He said listening is essential to building relationships. It's not just attending meetings, uh, and it's not just checking off the boxes. It is really building real relationships with people in in the neighborhood and in the community. Catholic and non-Catholic. And sharing the Catholic faith with them, particularly its rich tradition of prayer. I don't think the first cell is going to be on questions of doctrine. I mean, I think you get there later. <laughs> but what everybody understands is, and, and what's easy for people to appreciate, is prayer life. And when you offer people more vehicles to uh, have a richer spiritual life, a richer prayer life, uh, people appreciate that. And even those things that we think of as being almost exclusively Catholic, and we think that it wouldn't connect uh, with other people, such as the rosary, 
you will notice in the inner city that a lot of you know a lot of young people have rosaries. Now, I know people will criticize how how they use them. They'll wear it around their necks uh, for decorative decorative purposes. But if you talk with with a lot of young people who are not Catholic, who have acquired these rosaries, they'll get it uh, that there's a spiritual connection, that they experience something where they feel protected, uh, where they feel connected with the source of their being, uh, with the origins of their creation. I mean, they'll get that part of it. it that's, there's not a leap. Uh, there's not a big leap between wearing a rosary and praying the rosary. Many of Father David and Father Matthew's plans for St. Benedict are on hold because of the pandemic. But the priests said they hope St. Benedict will enrich the Diocese of Pittsburgh and to the church in the U.S. I think a lot of the divisions we have in our society today, they might be expressed in mean-spirited ways, but they frequently don't come from mean-spirited people. Uh, They come from people who are afraid. And part of breaking down that fear is when people actually get to encounter each other as human beings and know each other as human beings and move beyond, you know, the one-dimensional stereotypes on, on all sides, on all sides. And so that's, I think, in many ways, what is essential to deepen the Catholicity of the church and to deepen that Catholic experience of the church. When people come to visit St. Benedict the Moor from other parishes, Usually, when you talk with them, that's that's why they come. That's why they bring their families, because they want their children to have the experience of a liturgy that wakes them up. That's different from the the how how the liturgy celebrated in maybe their home parish that almost begins to feel cookie cutter, and to begin to see the diverse ways in which we can express the joy of the Eucharist, you know, in a single city. Uh, So I think that that's definitely something that African-American communities can bring uh, to the Catholic Church. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. My name is Kate Oliveira, and I was your host this week. I produce and edit this show with the help of our assistant producer, Jonah McKeown. A very special thanks this week to Father David Taylor, Father Matthew Hawkins, Reverend Cheryl Sanders, Ken White, and Bob DeWitt from the Diocese of Pittsburgh. Happy Black History Month, everybody.